inside uh, the sanctuary to your left. So don't forget to grab your picture. If you love to eat donuts and you like to talk or even be talked to after the service, we'd love to connect with you. I'm going to be here. Zach will be here. Ben will be here. We'd love to meet with you. Mark will probably be here. But would you come after the service? It's a way of our church body just connecting with one another. So if you're visiting, if you've been coming for a while, we don't get an abundance of time to meet everybody. We do our best. We try. But this is really our way of inviting you to stay, to meet, to talk. And we'd love it if you would join us right after the service for that. Next week, if you're interested or want to know more about membership, we have a membership class. What time is that class? That class is at 5 o'clock. Two other things. These are a little off-scripted. I'll be careful. We would really appreciate it if each Sunday, particularly if we're full, if you could scoot to the middle, if you made your way to the middle. So if there's gaps and you would move to the middle, that is super helpful for people as they come in. So if we can get it where we are just consistently moving towards the middle, allowing some room. Today it doesn't matter, but it has mattered in the past. So if you just be mindful of that, I just wanted to make that announcement. And the only other thing I would mention is we do have a men's group for those of you that would like to meet as men on Thursday mornings, and we've been meeting at the Concord Martins at 6.30. We would love to get more men of the church involved. So if that's something that you could be a part of, we would sure love to have you. Well, let me pray as Ben comes to bring the word. So bow with me. Father, what a gift Sundays are to us to remember, to celebrate, to enjoy your presence. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving inside of us. I pray for those that come this morning that are burdened, that are heavy, that are carrying something. Lord, for those that don't know you, God, I pray that by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that you would meet them exactly where they are, where the words of Scripture would penetrate their hearts, that you would open their eyes, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us. God, we need a movement of your people, and that comes through Jesus Christ. May we exalt and glorify him this morning. May you be with Ben as he comes and brings the word. And may the power of this word transform our lives. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Ben Hurd. I am the, the senior pastor. And what a joy it is to gather together. And we started Acts a few weeks ago. And we're going to be in it for a quite some time. Uh, but this morning... I want to talk about this. I'm just going to throw the title out right away here. Hope in the darkness. It's no secret to us that we live in a dark world. As we look around us, as we observe what's going on, I mean, it is easy to find ourselves without hope, isn't it? <laughs> on a daily basis, it seems like we're, we're hearing news of people dying, of people out of work, and and, and, it, and it's hard sometimes just to kind of go through each day. Maybe you find yourself in that place of hopelessness, of, a place of like despair where you just don't see how life can get any better. But, but when we look at the word, we find such great hope. And there, there is great hope for us as we look at our passage this morning, Acts 2. Follow along with me as I start reading in verse 14. But Peter... 
standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Your Bible may say 9 a.m., so the third hour of the day was 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in your word. God, in the midst of the suffering that we endure, in the midst of all the negativity in the news that we see, in the midst of all the broken relationships that we experience, and in the midst of all the broken dreams that never come to pass, God, we need a hope, and we have great hope in you. Lord, not wishful hope, not wishful dreamings of I sure hope we get to do something, Lord. Rather, this is a sure hope that we have in our repentance and faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this morning, that you would remind us of the hope for those who have, who are, have fleeting hope in their life. Lord, would you remind them of the rock that we have in Christ. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that you send us to guide and direct us. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct our time this morning and that you would encourage our hearts in you. And it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Holy Spirit is our light in the darkness. And here's the first thing I want to talk about. The world doesn't understand the work of the Holy Spirit. The world just doesn't get it. When they see Christians living out the Christian life, they just don't get it. Look at verse 14 again with me. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. And what we have here is the first of several sermons that we'll actually go through in the book of Acts. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the series when we first started Acts, that Peter would be a high focus in the beginning of this book. And so here Peter is delivering this first sermon that will actually take us a couple weeks to get through. And as you recall, in verse 13... You know, the disciples began speaking in different languages. And these Jews gathered around as they heard the sound of wind racing through where they were meeting. And they went closer and realized that these ordinary, simple Galileans were speaking in their very languages. 
all these different languages they did not know beforehand, but the Spirit was poured out, and they were hearing these different languages. And Peter is taking full advantage of who his crowd is before him. He gets it. And he kind of starts out with a little bit of a joke, but he wants their attention. These are common words that would have been said when something important was about to be said. Let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. And then he mentions, like, guys, come on. Like, you know this. The drunks don't come out until evening. It's 9 a.m. They don't get drunk in the morning. That happens later in the day. What are you thinking that these guys are drunk? This is something far greater than you realize. It made no sense. To these guys that they would be speaking in these languages. These simple, ordinary men doing what they were doing. But yet, as Christians, we understand the world can't make sense of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember, I may have shared this story with some of you. Uh, when I lived in Illinois, I worked for a uh, restoration company. And so, you know, when houses gets flooded, if you've ever had a company come in and all the fans and the dehumidifiers are dried out, I did that work. And... I worked with a guy named Rob, and with Rob, I, I never changed the way I talked between him or whether I was at church. Like, I just used God in my conversation because he's all-consuming for me. And so lots of conversation I had with Rob and was able to share the gospel with Rob. Uh, and one particular thing that happened to our family is that we had lost our car, one of our cars. So we had two kids at the time. Nikki was pregnant with our third and we had a, a four-door Ford Focus, which is not a very big car, but big enough for our family. And we had a two-door Escort. Well, I get a call from Nikki at, while I was at work, and our four-door our four Ford Focus developed a cracked engine block. And so we had to get rid of the car. And we were left at a place, we had a two-door Escort. Now, how many of you, anybody ever owned a two-door Escort? Some of you guys are like, what's an Escort? Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's what we had. Uh, this two-door Escort became our only vehicle. Now, it is a very small car. Two kids are hard enough. There's no way you're fitting three kids in the back of there. But we were at a place where we couldn't afford to just buy a car, and we couldn't afford to, to spend, like, to have a, like a, a to, what do you call that, a lease or anything. We couldn't afford a monthly payment for a car. And so I remember talking to Rob about this, and he's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to trust that God is going to provide a van for us, a car for us. And so Nikki and I, we prayed and we sought the Lord and we had faith that he was going to provide because we were just left with just no choice. And lo and behold, a couple months later, get a phone call from somebody saying, hey, you know, we love you guys. We want to bless you. Somebody, we were blessed with money in the past and we're going to get a new car and we just want to bless you with our vehicle. And so they gave us a vehicle to, to, that, that would become ours. This very nice van that we actually had for many years after that was in great condition, was just given to us. And so I'll never forget the day that I went and told Rob what had happened. I said, Rob, man, we got a car. We got this vehicle that was provided for us. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? When you said that you believed God was going to provide for you, I thought you were crazy. But isn't that like the world? It doesn't make sense to them. They, they can't understand the works of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, when we are truly living out the Christian spirit-filled life, there is a radical flavor to our lives that just doesn't make sense to the world. Now, I'm not talking about these crazy, you know, 
speaking in tongues and doing all these crazy things like healing people. Now, I'm not saying God can't use people to heal. I'm not saying that tongues aren't something that God can use us to do in order to proclaim the truth. But I'm speaking more of the day-to-day regular living of believers who are being filled by the Spirit. Is it a common thing for people to be forgiving? When you look in the world, is there a lot of peace? Is there a lot of welcoming in it? Is there a lot of acceptance? Is there a lot of forgiving past failures? Or do we live in a society that brings things that happened 10, 20 years ago? And throw people under the bus and things that that they repented of long ago, but now it's being brought to the forefront and people are canceling them left and right. People who are forgiving have a radical flavor. The world can't comprehend the forgiveness that happens amongst believers. The world just doesn't understand it. How about working hard at a job, even when it's a hard place to work and you never get recognized and your boss takes advantage of you. Now, I'm not here to say that as Christians we're just to be quiet and just take all the abuse that we get. But there should be the sense where we understand that it's a hard place and our example can make a difference. And so when we work hard, even at a place where other people are complaining and slacking off and saying, I'm going to stick it to the boss, we live differently because we understand who we work for. That's a radical way of living that the world doesn't understand. I remember working for a packaging company that packaged car parts. And uh, if you're familiar with that, if you've ever worked in an environment like that, uh, they, the way they kind of develop pricing is determine how many pieces of, can be packed in an hour. And so you get a rate for how many pieces you should pack in an hour. Well, for me, that was a challenge. I'm like, I want to blow past this, man. I want to get as many as I could do done in an hour and just keep going as fast as I can. Well, I would do this, and, you know, we'd get these large quantities of parts that a bunch of other people are doing at the same time. Well, you, you know who's doing how many because you have to fill out these forms that tell you how much you're doing. And so I would actually get in trouble by my fellow coworkers if I went too fast because it made them look bad. And they just couldn't understand the fact that, listen, I don't ultimately work for my boss. I work for Christ. I want to bring glory to him. That's a radical flavor that the world just doesn't understand. Doesn't understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so we should ask ourselves, do I look different than the unbelievers around me? Do the way, does the way that I live my life reflect the glory of God? Am I doing it in such a way that's different? Or am I just kind of going with the status quo and, you know what, when the service is bad, I'm going to give a bad tip or no tip at all. When, when the boss treats me bad, I'm just going to slack off like everybody else. Or are we going to do everything we can do to the glory of God because that's the Holy Spirit in me. Those things that I wanted to do that way was not something that was of me. Me wanting to work hard was not something that was natural for me. It was the Holy Spirit working in me. It was my relationship with God that overflowed in the way that I live my life. Is that true for you? Do you have a radical flavor to you that the world looks at and just cannot understand? Stand. I remember choices 
that I've made in my life. Certain things that I wouldn't participate in that people would make fun of me for. And call me like stuck up and things like that. You ever get that just because you're wanting to keep your life holy? Not because you're trying to like be better than anybody else. But you just realize, you know, like you, you just realize that if you go too deep into something, it's going to suck you in. And so therefore you just have to stay away from it. Not, not a statement of it as if you're righteous, but just a statement of like, God, I want to honor you. And I can't participate this and honor you with my life. Is that the kind of life that you are living where the world looks at it and just doesn't understand? It sure does make them curious, though. And it's a witness to them of the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit. If unbelievers look just like you, that's a problem. And it's no wonder why so many people don't want to come to church because they see people who are living a life that looks no different than theirs. The only difference is, is you're suffering at church on Sunday morning while they get to sleep in. So what's the point of that? But when we look different, we have a radical flavor to us. It draws people in because they know there's no hope, right? They're experiencing, like, they're trying to hide it with other things. But we know that hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. The world doesn't understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Again, who is Peter speaking to here? Peter is speaking to Jews. And they would understand who Joel was. This would be like, well, who's Joel? Like, who's this guy? They would know who Joel was. They would know who he's talking about. And Peter's like trying to say, look, guys. Like this was something that you should have seen before. If you knew the word of God, you would know that things like this would take place. Because I was going to pour my spirit out. And here's what we take away from that. The work of the Holy Spirit always upholds scripture. The work of the Holy Spirit always upholds scripture. What does Peter do here? He takes them back to the word of God in order to confirm that what just took place was legit. It was an act of God. It was prophesied about. It was told about by Joel. This wasn't something that they were just pulling out of nowhere. Because the truth is the Holy Spirit is about carrying out what God's word says. The scripture, the spirit does not contradict the scriptures. He doesn't add to it. Rather, what the Spirit does is he fulfills what the Scriptures say. And so there's a lot of questions on whether or not, like, was this really an act of God or is this an act of man? Well, how do we know those things? How do we know whether this is a supernatural work of God or whether this is something that was man-made? We can be able to look back at Scriptures and we can be able to point to the fact that this, this is what it says. This is lining up with God's Word. That's our judge. That's how we know what the truth is. And I'm sure many of you have friends and family, and maybe you've even be, been deceived yourselves by something that sounded good. It tickled your ears, but it completely goes against the very words of God. Let me give you kind of a, a little analogy that, honestly, if I'm, it's just pretty embarrassing for me. But uh, I was on Facebook looking. You know how they have, like, ads that come through of things that you can buy? Well, I was, this ad came up of this beanbag chair, like, not like a small personal one, but like this huge one. You know, we have 
we have seven people in our family, so I'm like, this would be great for watching movies and things like that. And lo and behold, it's like on 70% sale. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, what a great opportunity. I know some of you right now are like, oh, you didn't, Ben, did you? Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> and so I'm like picking out the right color, and man, this is going to be fantastic. So I pay for it. Two weeks later, nothing. A month later, nothing. And then I start like, i got to call this company to see what's going on. Well, guess what I couldn't find? couldn't find a company. There was no real company. I, I got duped. And I fell for it. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized, why in the world would I do something like this? 70% off for something that cost $150, $200? That's ridiculous. <laughs> that doesn't happen. You don't find that unless somebody's selling it out of their garage. <laughs> but you know what? That's what happens to us. We can get so fooled because we think we hear something that sounds so good. Well, that's not, that's got to be true. That sounds really good. It tickles our ears. And so we go after it and then realize, man, if I would have just understood the truth and if I really would have thought clearly about this, I wouldn't have made that foolish mistake and lost that money that I spent on something that was so ridiculous. We all face that danger of holding on to lies if we aren't holding on to the truth. So keep Acts marked. And I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 4 for a minute. Just kind of bring this more to light to help, help you understand what I'm talking about as far as hold the Holy Spirit always upholding Scripture. Ephesians 4, I want to look at verse 11. says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what's the point of teachers and leaders in the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So lots of scripture there to help teach the scripture. So we understand what God's word says, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So the more that we are in the word of God, the more that we are going to fight against believing things that we shouldn't believe or confirming things that we should believe. The Holy Spirit never works contrary to what God's word says. It goes on here in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In order for us to grow and mature as a church, in order for us to grow and mature as believers in Christ, we need to understand the word of God. If they would have understood the word of God here, they would have recalled what Joel said and would have started to question, man, this may be a work of God because this is what it says right here in his word. But the problem for so many of us is that we don't even know what's in this book. And the last time you opened it was Sunday morning last week. I'm not saying like, 
hey, you need to read your scriptures for an hour every day. I'm not saying, I don't want to get legalistic about that. But the reality is, if we aren't filling our minds and our hearts with the truth of God's word, we are filling our minds with something else. There's no neutrality here. Do you understand that? We're either being renewed by God's word or we are being renewed by the things of this world. And so... The more time that we stay away from God's word, the more time that we allow ourselves to be deceived, to have our ears tickled. Well, that sounds good. I mean, you see how messed up the church is as a whole, those who claim to be a part of the church, where now we are allowing, not only allowing people of different lifestyles, we're affirming it. We're affirming lifestyles that are contrary to the teaching of God's word. Why? Because we've not opened the word and studied for ourselves and sought the Lord for understanding. The work of the Holy Spirit always upholds Scripture. And we need to ask ourselves, am I a man or woman of the Word of God? If not, then you will be deceived. Look at verse 17. This is getting into the actual prophecy from Joel. You can find this in Joel 2, verses 28 through 32, and he's quoting it. And it says this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And here's what we see in this. The work of the Holy Spirit shows no favoritism. The work of the Holy Spirit shows no favoritism. This is great news for us. Because we might try to classify ourselves, well, I'm just a girl. Or I'm poor. Or I'm too young. Or I'm too old. We can have all these reasons why God doesn't want to use us. And what, what he's saying here, what Joel is saying here, what Peter is quoting from Joel is that the work of the Holy Spirit shows no favoritism. Let's look at it a little bit more deeper. Verse 17. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. There's no question that this was a male-dominated culture here. But we, but we know and we hold as a church that man and woman are created equal. Now, we don't have the same roles, but we are absolutely equal, complementary to one another. God's given us distinct roles as man and woman, but we are equal. Amen. So just because you're a woman doesn't mean you can't speak into the lives of others. The scripture goes on to say, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. The Holy Spirit is not just given to the old but to the young as well. There's no age discrimination. You're not going to not get a job. You're not going to not receive the Holy Spirit because you are at an age where it's like nobody, you're not, you're not useful anymore. And you're not too young to say, well, I, you know, I'm just, what am I? And look at the youth culture today. Like, it, I'm just going to, I'll get serious when I get older. And often for so many people, that time never comes. And I love what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. He says this. To a young Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 
In other words, what he's saying is, like, don't act like a fool like the rest of young people. How many of you young people, you, you were a fool when you were young? How many of you fool? Uh, foolish things, wasted time. If you're a young person this morning, don't let your youth, your youthfulness distract others from seeing Christ in you. I mean, some of the greatest conviction that comes to me is when my kids call me out. <laughs> and the things that I've been teaching, they're like, well, Dad, well, you just said this. But as youth, we can just kind of say, well, well, you're just supposed to act like a fool and just do whatever you want to. But isn't it so refreshing when you see youth who are giving their lives over to Christ now? Don't let anybody look down on your youth. Here's another tragedy that I see often is for older folks who retire and their greatest, their greatest hope has been retiring. And all they want to do now is I've lived my life and so I'm cashing, I'm checking out and I'm going to go live on the seashore and collect seashells. Meanwhile, there are young people who are growing up and they're like, I, I don't know, uh, what am I supposed to do? And they need a mentor, they need somebody who loves Jesus who can help them understand. Some of the greatest things are when older folks look at me and I share my struggles and they laugh at me. The reason why is because they're like, yep, that's, that's exactly right, that's, that's normal. Isn't it so good to know, like, oh, I'm such a mess. Yep, I was a mess too and I still am a mess. Oh, thank God, I so respect you and yet you understand. Like, that's so helpful for us. But the question is, where are the old folks who are willing to pour into the younger people? It's not a slam on anybody here. It's just something that breaks my heart. Like if you've walked with Jesus for so many years, who are you bringing up with you? There's no age discrimination with who the Holy Spirit will be poured out on. The point of all of this is the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. Look at verse 18. Even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. God doesn't care whether you're rich or you're poor. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you add any value to him if you are living for yourself. And just because you have no, nothing to give physically means that you are of no value of the Spirit. Praise God for that, amen. What the world values, God does not value. He owns it all anyway. He can use the rich, he can use the poor. And so don't let your social status determine what you think the Spirit can do through you. The same Spirit... Hopefully you know what I'm about to say. But the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, what? Lives in us. He wants to use you. There's no age discrimination. There's no social discrimination. There's no gender discrimination here. The spirit comes to those who repent and believe in Jesus. Look at verse 19. Things kind of take a turn for the worst here where there's this darkness that comes about and I will show you wonders it says in verse 19 in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke and sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day uh, there's some de debate on what this is referring to here some actually says it refers back to the crucifixion of Christ and then there are others he referred to kind of apocalyptic events like we read in Revelation. And that's where I, it seems to be pointing to me. 
Is it speaking of things like that happen in the book of Revelation? And, and that's a little bit scary, isn't it? <laughs> the moon turning to blood. Darkness overtaking the sun. I mean, I know we live in, in, in the Midwest, and it, that seems to happen a lot. <laughs> but this is some scary stuff. And as we look at it in our world, I mean, we have to ask ourselves, are things getting better out there? Are we going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden the news is going to be cheery and happy and all the things that are going well in the world? Or are, are things getting worse? Our, econ- our economy seems like it's about ready to fall apart. And apparently in some parts of the country, there are major problems finding jobs. But certainly they aren't checking out Elkhart County. <laughs> See how many job postings there are? I can't go to Panera. One time I go to Panera this week. And the drive-thru was closed because they didn't have enough people. And then I go to another place, and you can't go inside because there's not enough people. And only the drive-thru is open. That's happening everywhere. And then COVID has just divided our country into two different camps where nobody wants to come and meet together. Apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the gift of God's word, it can be pretty easy to feel hopeless. And maybe you find yourself in that place today just... Feeling lost, wondering, man, what's the point of life? What am I here to do? And I have found in my own life that living without Christ, living without being in relationship with him through his word and through prayer is a very hopeless place to be. And if that's you today, let me just say you're in a good place because I have hope for you. Part of the problem is, is people just want more of the world and they, their eyes haven't been opened to the darkness that the world is. But once we understand the darkness of the world and then we see the light of Christ, oh, how bright it is. And how bright Christians are who are living filled with the Spirit. Life is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. Life is hopeless without Christ and his word. Yes, the, the world is falling apart. There are many reasons to leave us hopeless. But, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's the good news. Even in light of that passage and what's coming, the world will be destroyed. God will judge all of us for our deeds. And if we don't fall under Christ, we will face eternal suffering forever. But for those who repent, we have a living hope. Amen. And look Look at the strength in which he says this. Look at the confidence in which Joel proclaims this. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now here's something that you should understand. Like the people, the audience here would have translated when they heard the name of the Lord, the Lord referring to the God of Israel. But what we're going to see in the weeks to come that we know the Lord here is Jesus Christ. Who had just purchased the salvation of everyone who had placed their faith in him on the cross for us. That when we call on his name, 
we will be saved. The destruction is coming. There's nothing good this world has to offer. The world will get worse before it gets better. This world is a dark place, but Jesus is the light. And he warned us of all of this. It goes back to where if we understand the scriptures, we're not surprised at the fire trials. Something strange were happening to us. He called us to suffering. But you don't have to live in darkness anymore. Jesus has made a way for you. If you are living in light of that hopelessness, not clinging to the truth of God's word, what he's saying to you is, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But it starts with the understanding of who we are before Christ. The reason why there's darkness in the world is because there's sin in our own hearts. And there's sin in everybody. Everybody is born into sin, separated from God. That's why you feel hopeless. And that is a God-given gift for you. Because if you are living with hope, in hope, apart from Jesus Christ, you are in one of the most dangerous places there can be. But if you've tasted and seen that the world is not good, maybe this is your day where God is calling you to repent of your sin and place your trust in Him. But you can't reach Christ on your own morality. You will never be good enough to reach God. Even in your good works, it won't be good enough. And that is good news for us. Let your striving cease. Repent of your sin. Place your trust in Christ. The Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9 and 10. So if the spirit is moving in you, if you are feeling the conviction, if you are aware of the darkness, if you are aware of the hopelessness that you have faced and you have placed your trust in yourself, let me encourage you, repent this morning. Turn from your sin. Confess the fact that you are separated from God, not because of anything in the world or anything that's happened to you, but because the sin that dwells in your own heart. Place your faith in Jesus who literally died on the cross and God puts all of the sins of every person who had ever believed, placed it on his son, rejected his son, turned his back on him, and Jesus bore that weight so that we would not have to face that. Repent this morning. And if you haven't done that and you still have questions, the elders will be up front here at the end of the service. We'd love to talk with you more about that. But we want you to know that there is hope in the darkness. Believers, if you find yourself discouraged this morning, fearful, lacking hope, let me remind you of the comfort of the Holy Spirit that's there. And I would ask you not to, not to bring condemnation, but just to remind you, have you filled your mind with the promises of Scripture? Have you gone back to the truth or are your feelings being Betrayed by things of this world. We can't expect to find hope if we are filling our minds with the garbage that the world has to offer. In Colossians, remember we, we read, set your heart on things above or Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. 
but believe and find hope in the scriptures and what God has said. We have a great hope in the darkness, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we do have in Christ. You have given us your Holy Spirit, Lord. There are so many things that can lead us to discouragement as we look out in the world, as we are aware of the brokenness, Lord, but then we see what you did for us on on the cross. I pray for those, Lord, who are even wrestling now. And the thought of having to talk to somebody and ask questions is, leaves them paralyzed. But God, I pray that you would move in such a way where they could not leave until they talked to somebody. And Lord, I pray, I pray that those who have never repented of their sin and placed their trust in you would do so this morning, God. And for the believers here, I pray that you would encourage them Lord, that they would not open the Bible and read it this week because that's what Christians should do, but they have a desire. They want to see the good news, Lord. Your word says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Oh, we have great hope in your word, but if we leave it on the shelf and we just let the pastor open, have us open it and we only open it once a week, Lord, we're going to find ourselves discouraged. So God, I pray that you would give a supernatural desire and love for your word for the people here this morning, for all of us. Help us, Lord. It's so hard not to make it a checklist item. But would you remind us that when we open up the book, we are encountering the living God. You gave this word for us. This is not a story about how we should live ultimately. This isn't a story about us. This is a story about you coming to rescue a people that desperately needed to be rescued. And that rescue is not yet complete. So God, would you give us hope in the midst of the darkness here so that we can go into the darkness and be a shining light. Not just by our words, but also by the way that we live our life, that we would have a radical flavor that would leave people scratching their head wondering, what is wrong with you? Why are you so forgiving and so loving and so caring? Oh Lord, that we would look different because of the hope that we have in you. Lord, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Let's just spend some time praying for those names for just a couple minutes. And if you need to talk to somebody, the elders are going to come forward. Come pray. Come ask questions. We want to talk with you. And then Zach and the worship team is going to lead us in a closing song here. So let's pray for the lost. Let's pray for ourselves. Is the spirit moving in you and anything that's been said this morning? Let's just take some time. We don't often do this enough. Take some time to pray, God, what do I need to take away from your word this morning? Let's spend some time praying quietly, and then we'll sing here in a moment.